Welcome to the podcast, Moving Through Fear, where we explore the role fear has in leading us toward what's most important. I'm Craig Strong, photographer, inventor, and co-founder of Lens Baby Inc. Along the way, I've met a lot of amazing people who've learned a great deal about how to live life well. In these one-on-one conversations, we explore the role fear and negative emotions have played in, of all things, making life better. In this episode, my friend and mentor John Swainston and I talk about the philosophy of photography. We talk about making pictures versus taking pictures, lens baby sweet spot lenses, seeing the way the mind's eye sees. John talks about running Nikon Australia when he started it in the 80s like a, a scrappy startup having to reverse engineer the product photography and the lighting setup that Nikon Japan used to uh, to reproduce his images and to make images for his marketing, which is just crazy to think of Nikon as a startup, but that's what happened. And staying creative by breaking through the fear of what he didn't know ahead of time. Just jumping in, volunteering for things he doesn't know anything about or knows very little about, and then becoming an authority, partly because it was scary and that that was something that was going to motivate him to learn and to move forward and to teach others. I'm Craig Strong, and I'm here with John Swainston. And John is a friend of mine. And we have worked alongside each other in the photography business. He is, uh, has been a professional in this space for many years beyond me in many capacities. And we're here to talk about uh, the Lens Baby mission statement and how that might impact uh, and relate to John's career and journey as a photographer and journey in the space and journey as a creative and as a father and and however it goes. But uh, I look forward to the conversation, John. Well, thank you very much, Craig. It's uh, it's absolutely great to be here. And uh, we, we go back uh, nearly two decades. Nearly two uh, decades, yeah. But I'm afraid that's only uh, two-fifths of my time in photography. <laughs> I, I'm a baby. Uh, so, John, I want to read... A couple things. First, I want to introduce you to our listeners. And uh, you spent four decades in the international photo industry, first in Europe, then in the US, and finally in Australia. Uh, Today, you consult with clients in business management and strategy, including myself. Thank you for that. Uh, While writing and creating recently two books built around your own photography, Um, one is the two years of the Sydney lockdown, and the other is a survey book of all of the Anglican cathedrals in England and Wales. And, uh, and that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I know uh, you're, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about your journey than I already know, but I do want to uh, read the lens baby mission statement, which uh, Michael presented to me last summer. And it was, you know, the angels sang as soon as it happened. And, And I was so glad for him really distilling what he knew of Lens Baby and inspiring me with it. And that mission statement is we empower artists to move through fear, to discover extraordinary creative freedom. I know you resonated with that the moment yeah. I read it to you uh, the first time in the fall and uh, shortly after Michael had presented it to me and we had, I think I'd moved one word around and, uh, and that was it and it was done. Um, so why did that resonate with you? Well, because I think it talks to the, the heart of firstly what Lens Baby does, but it's actually much broader than that. It, it enables one to think through what the process of photography is about. Um, the, the the difference between a photographer and a snapshooter is that photographers make pictures and snapshooters take pictures. Mm. And the, the Lens Baby, because of its wonderful analog, uh, everything's manual, you have to actually have your brain in gear, not just the finger on the shutter button or the button on your uh, cell camera. Mm-hmm. And and so th- this this whole process of the creative process, I don't know a single photographer who doesn't think that most of their work is rubbish. It, it, it just goes with the territory. 
We are, by our very nature, people with low self-esteem in our own creative endeavours. And just occasionally you think, hmm, that's actually, that's exactly what I had in my head. And, And so this whole process of the freedom to express yourself and take yourself Henry Kissinger, not that I agreed with his politics, but he once said something that I think is really important. Uh, Great leaders, he said, take people from where they are to where they have not been. Hmm. And and that, that actually is the process of you being the leader of your own creative journey. And so when you read me Michael's wonderful uh, mission statement for Lance Baby, it just it resonated much more deeply than perhaps you might have thought uh, w- would happen. Mission statements are usually incredibly bland. That yeah. you, you, can, you, you can take away so often the name of the company and it could apply to 300 different ent- enterprises. Sure. That, that isn't the case with Lance Baby's mission statement. It is what it is. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. And um, that's why I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I agree. And I'm so glad with your long experience with our company, almost back to its origins, that uh, that it it resonated. And and again, um, you know, super grateful for Michael for for his perception and his skills in in putting that into words. But uh, so I want to go back to. Um, those those first times you talked about most of every photographer you know the most of their work is rubbish. When was the first? Do you remember that first image where you looked at and you said, "Oh, that's not rubbish"? As in in your photographic journey? Gosh, yes, I do actually. Um, my my mother was doing some research in family history. Um, and uh, that actually is what ultimately got me to Australia, which is where I am now. Um, and it was on a family called the McClay family, and I was uh, sitting with an American researcher who my mother had come across uh, from the United States who'd also come across this same family and was intrigued. It was the first secretary of the Linnean Society in, uh, in England, um, and the Linnean Society was the study of the work of Linnaeus, one of the great uh, Roman scientists. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my ancestor was the first secretary in 1789, I think. Okay. And this researcher was sitting by a window, and I had a Kodak um, a 120 camera, uh, that my brother had uh, sort of handed down to me. It folded out with the bellows and uh, made in Germany, fantastic lens. And he said, oh, look, you know, you've got your camera with you. I was 11 years of age. Um, and I said, yeah, um, c- can I take a picture of you uh, sitting uh, by the window here? And when I got the picture back, um, in those days, we always used to say, you know, let's see if it'll come out. Uh, that has taken on all sorts of new meanings in English language now. But th- that's what we said in photography in those days. And uh, it was just a beautifully balanced portrait. And somehow I recognised that at age 11, that it actually uh, it told the story. He was sitting at a desk. That was visible. The light was slightly asymmetrical. And I said, I like that picture. Monochrome, of course, black yeah. and white. <laughs> yeah, and and of course, we're so familiar, and and most most of our listeners are are shooting digital. So, uh, you know, as I'm envisioning this, I had to step back and go, "Oh no, this was film," because because that realization happened when you held that print, correct? Yes, and that was like two weeks later. He'd yeah. already gone back to the states. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and but, it was uh, a, it was a different world. And so to to be able to, I mean, it's it's a piece of history that you were holding in your hands. Yeah, and you know the sad thing is I don't have a copy of that print. Yeah, uh, I gave it to my mother uh, for her book. Uh, James Moody was the gentleman's name. Uh, he became a, a very erudite professor at some university in the United States, and we lost okay. contact about 40 years ago. Well, 
Well, so that 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 was very much uh, the 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 early days, and and it took me another ten years uh, before I made another picture that I thought was. I was up at Oxford University, Magdalen College, mm-hmm. uh, and I went to a meeting of the Conservative Club, um, and decided uh, that uh, my job that night uh, was to be a press photographer. Wow. I'd always been interested in media. I, don't, I, I wrote my first, uh, I, I created my first newspaper when I was 12 okay. uh, at, my, at my boarding school. And, um, uh, of course, it breached all the copyright because I just copied straight out of the newspapers. <laughs> but uh, I, I went to this meeting and it was a meeting of the English politician Enoch Powell. Um, who became famous for his somewhat divisive language about uh, the change in British culture uh, with a large number of migrants and at a rate that he believed would be not uh, conducive to uh, assimilation. And, and um, so, uh, and, and he had a very mobile right hand. And uh, history has pictures of a certain person um, in uh, Europe who Mm -hmm. raised his right hand, Mm -hmm. and I got this picture of him uh, with a um, a 135-millimeter lens Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. on my Practica camera by then. I had a – and and he's he's sort of holding his hand up to the right. Wow. And it's one of those moments where that was not what he was doing. He was Mm -hmm. trying to make an expression. But I was already intuitively looking for that hand to say something else. Sure, sure. Wow. And uh, that negative I still do have. Wow. That's great. So so you there was what, 7, 8 years between those those two pictures? I so I was 20 by then. Yes. Okay, so 9 years. Yes. 9 years. And, and and I want to know about the years in between. What what was photography to you in that time? Um it 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 ebbed and flowed. Um, I I don't think I really was as a teenager. I was more interested in my music. I I became a reasonably competent recording engineer and uh, worked in the sound field. Okay. Uh, at at school, did all the sound for the uh, school plays and all that kind of stuff. And there were a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, developed a reasonable understanding of lighting, working with the stage manager on the lighting. So, uh, you know, that took a a sort of backward step, but um, uh, I was back into it. And one of my um, uh, colleagues, we did uh, economics uh, lectures together, um, uh, was an Australian uh, journalist who came later to university than me. He'd already worked uh, in journalism, South China Morning Post in Hong Kong. And... um, we went together. He did a, a, a piece for the local paper, the Oxford Mail, and I did the picture. Wow, that's that's uh, jumping right in. That's that's fantastic. I, I I I go to the creative side of you. You saw a piece of art that you had created as an eleven-year-old, and you found another outlet for that in sound design and in uh, you know a, a, you know a different medium completely and. But you, I have to wonder if you went into that meeting and, and seeing that speaker and expecting, anticipating that motion and putting yourself in the right spot for that to uh, communicate something that you felt was, was poignant in the moment. I, I have to wonder if the encouragement of that first photo led you to the confidence of what happened in that meeting with that, that 135 millimeter practical lens. Um, I think it did uh, subconsciously. I I, I had um, spent six months in my gap year uh, in um, in Africa, okay. uh, and uh, I was in what was formerly um, uh, Rhodesia, uh, now Zimbabwe, uh, and uh, I found it an intriguing place. Uh, it was uh, it had uh, unilaterally uh, declared independence. Okay. Um, I had taken a uha. Um, audio recorder with me, and I was trying to do uh, uh, radio journalism with um, sort of seven-minute pieces interviewing people. But, of course, because of um, 
the political difficulties, all of the tapes were confiscated when I tried to mail them out. Wow. Um, in my naive sort of 18, 19-year-old uh, young person, um, it didn't occur to me that anyone would censor me. Um, but uh, that, there we go. Uh, that's that's one of those things. Um, look, I, I uh, the anticipation thing, I, I want to share um, two two lessons in photography that I've learned since, okay. but they, w- they were really important in that uh, nine-year gap. Uh, one was taught to me by Australian photographer, the late David Moore, uh, who was Australia's first international uh, journalist um, in 1953 or thereabouts. And uh, he said, uh, um, in photography, what you've got to do is you, you, you've always got to think ahead. So, what is going to happen next? And that, that is the anticipation side of photography if you're doing news photography. And the other one came from a New Zealand photographer, Mike Langford, uh, who was doing a, um, a seminar on um, uh, commercial photography in, in a landscape environment, and we'd taken a hotel that we were all uh, lodged in for the seminar, and he took us and said, right, your brief is to do a picture on this hotel that will tell the whole story of the place. Mm-hmm. And his his statement was, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. So what is happening here, followed by what's going to happen next. And those two things teach you to read the story. And then in the Lens Baby Creative Freedom, how do I then express that? Uh, obviously applies. And... In news stories, of course, you have to be limited in your creative freedom because you you know you can't change the picture. I mean, it's just part of the ethics of of, of photojournalism. Right. And so the creative process is to get the message across what's happening here and get the anticipation right so that you've combined the two. Yep. And another limitation is you rarely had more than one image to tell that story. Correct. Which, which goes to Mike's comment about uh, the, get the whole story in one image. Yes. And, and this process of, of making an image that is right in camera is obviously facilitated by the process of, uh, uh, of digital because we can take a look. Sure. But actually, when we're using Lens Baby, we're looking and we're physically moving and we're creating all in the same process. And you know, the only thing probably you don't know is whether you absolutely got it pin sharp where you wanted it if you've used one of the selective focus zones, um, sure. you know, in the in the original Composer Pro um, uh, uh, design. So, I, you know, I... I think that whole process of using the whole body, the whole mind, hands, eyes, sense, you know, is, is actually a wonderful heightening of the creative process. Yeah. Well, you're preaching to the choir, but you're, you're getting me all excited uh, because <laughs> the reality is it's one moment. And if you're combining all of that, all of those processes into one moment, it's literally that same moment. You're also looking at the subject in the same way that, that you're envisioning it. So you're not three steps ahead, taking a safe shot that really doesn't involve much more than composition and capturing a moment and, and telling the story. Um, but if, if it needs something, um, you know, organic in terms of the lens and the the effect and the optical effects to really convey the emotion and convey the scene. Um, yeah, that one moment to pack it all into that because you're doing it in camera, uh, that's pretty awesome. And uh, that's, that's what gets me excited about bringing out tools for photographers to work in the field because, yeah, it's, I mean, go ahead. You, you've, got, you've got opinions on this as well. Yeah, well, uh, but I think the, the other thing I would add to that is, again, uh, talking about David Moore, uh, the Australian photographer, he, I remember interviewing him once for an article. We published a magazine. I, I was the uh, Australian distributor. My company was the Australian distributor for Nikon um, uh, or Nikon, if you're in another part of the world. Uh, and th- th- uh, we had a magazine called Nikon Light Reading. 
which was a play on words. Uh, and uh, he, he said, I asked him, how do you know when you've got the right picture? And, and he said, look, uh, photography is a journey, and you will begin to see more about your subject as you take a few pictures. But the, the, the photographer that is a, an accomplished photographer is going to know, and that's when you stop. You don't take another one just in case because you've reached the, you've reached the journey you, or reached the end of the journey. <laughs> and so from, from that perspective, I think all of us need to actually have purpose in, in our picture making yeah. uh, that, that says, yeah, that tells the story. Mm -hmm. I'm done. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Uh, the, the limitations that we had on us in film made that more acceptable and, you know, to, to photographers, like in the sense that shooting 3000 images is not a big deal. That's probably normal for most weddings these days. And yet I, 10 rolls was 360 images. I'd shoot a wedding on 300, 360 images. Yep. I was a, a 12 roll. Yeah, yes. I was. I probably averaged twelve to fifteen, yeah. and, and I delivered uh, 100 and 130 pictures. Yeah, I did one twenty-five, and yeah. <laughs> it's uh, and so walking away had it saved us some money, and it also said, okay, move on to the next moment, move on to the next story, especially in a wedding because they're happening all around you. Um, and but that reminds me of just the fact that we as artists as humans we choose things that that take away options and find meaning in that every sport is that way you can't touch the ball with your hand you have to dribble the ball you have to uh, stay in bounds you have to do all these things these are all arbitrary rules and yet we adopt them so that we can excel at those rules and overcome those rules and in the same way in in photography and artistic endeavors you're choosing a certain palette or a certain brush and you're seeing what you can get out of that uh and and i do think that having all the options open whether that's just having a shooting with your iphone and essentially having infinite depth of field and and having a picture that you can then spend a week adjusting in a thousand different ways before you decide what your uh vision was or or is for that image um it, it's uh it, for me i find more meaning in in being able to say it's done it's in the can yes i'll spend three minutes doing uh, contrast and color adjustments, but beyond that, my vision is there. And so that's kind of one of those rules for me, and it sounds like for you, that uh, it has some meaning to you. And a lot of those rules were dictated to us because of the cost of film and because of, uh, you know, the equipment, because we didn't want to be going through 36 images in a burst, because then we wouldn't be ready for the next thing. We wanted to get five moments, 10 moments on a, a roll of film, not, not just one. And I think if you were a sports photographer, uh, that 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 was an even greater intensity. I mean, oh, you know, yeah. that the 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 process of getting the right moment of a of a goal shot. Uh, I remember when Nikon introduced in the uh, Nikon F system uh, the remote uh, uh, controller, and they could actually fire off a camera with a motor drive from behind the, the goal post um, as the ball came into the net, even if they were on the sidelines shooting, you know, field work. It, it, you know, that, that, that created uh, a freedom that was uh, uh, just unknown. Uh, but, of course, they didn't really know what they'd got until they went back to the lab and got it processed and out it right. came and, okay, right. that's the one. So I think that's a different process. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I think's been interesting, you, you mentioned sport. Um, a, a, a photographer, an English photographer who now lives in North America, uh, Tim Clayton, um, uh, worked in Australia for, uh, gosh, 12, 15 years um, and became uh, a, a world press photo uh, award winning photographer uh, when he put in work. And he did swimming and uh, cycling in a way that no one had ever attempted before and literally changed the way sport photography uh, w was recorded. 
um, and still does remarkable work. And he just saw differently. So, uh, you know, there's, the, there's a, 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 a wonderful um, word that I think is important in photography, and that is uh, we see pictures. We don't look, we see. Mm. Uh, and um, uh, I, I think that's a, a really important thing. You know, when I uh, was uh, doing the recording of the uh, English cathedrals, um, I, I remember I would make a booking of uh, four hours and I was only going to shoot, planning to shoot for one hour. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would sit there in the space for at least the first 30 minutes in one of the pews uh, and I would just um, adapt my framework to why this building had been there for 35 generations and who were the people that stepped across these flagstones, uh, who built it. And I'd do all the research ahead of time. And and then I would walk around it, uh, having secured my photographic equipment, um, and um, then I'd start to work. But I, I'd have to be in the place for an hour, hour and a bit, before I could actually begin to make a picture because I wanted to make sure that my pre-planning had not subsumed the, the actual evidence. Yeah. And sometimes when you plan, what you actually see is more than you planned or different, and you have to reimagine that picture and you have to have it clearly in your mind what you're going to make, and then you then you make it. Uh, so planning is important, but uh, enlightenment and surprise is a is a wonderful journey, and 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 again, as an artist, uh, I like to consider some of my work as artistic. Um, it has been a, a wonderful journey, and and these photographs are different photographs to the ones you would think of because I have concentrated on the ceilings of all these cathedrals and the naves, and every one of those forty two English and Welsh cathedrals has a different ceiling. Oh, they all had the same purpose, but the vision of the builders and the masons who put them together, totally different. Wow. So you you mentioned what's going to happen next earlier, and as I'm envisioning sitting in those those pews, I wonder what that question was. What what did what's already happened? what represents what's happened and so, and then and then there's also the question of light like where where's the light going where's it's falling uh in that sense that's what's happening next but the primary question would seem to be something different in this situation well it, it is it's because what am i going to discover next mm. uh and and you know you 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 walk around, you get a feel for the place, right? Uh, now, these are the five pictures I'm going to make here. And then you come around a corner differently to the way you approached it in your walk around, and you suddenly see something else. And th- that's why this journey, while it's important to plan, sometimes can have a lateral movement. And, uh, and that's the particularly fun thing. Uh, the perspective when you suddenly look through at 200 mil and your eyes are looking at somewhere between 30 and 40 uh, or 40 and 50 mil uh, equivalent in, in 35 millimeter camera terms and and your perspective is different and so you are seeing differently and I, I think that's 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 fantastic and and of course with lens baby you see differently to life because our eyes accommodate all sorts of things that are peripheral you look through a camera then you're restricted to the angle of view of the lens and then you look through a lens baby lens and uh, as you know i i love the original effect particularly with the wide angle and this selective focus that i can move around to lead the eye on the printed page which is necessary because the eye subconsciously will focus that way but when it's on a printed page i've got all the information and there's no selection lens right. baby just changes all that 
Right, and, right. and that's that's really the way the brain works. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I commend you for having the idea to break those rules because it's actually analogous to our our mind's eye. Right, right, yeah. So, so, um, I I, and I love that you appreciate that. I, I remember in our very first meetings there was a sense of okay, this guy gets it. Like, you know, you've been in the industry a long time and you get it. Maybe we're on to something because that was the early days of Lens Baby. We didn't know if we were going to be around, you know, what was it, year one, year two that we met? Year two. Yes, yeah, year we two. Yeah. We didn't know if this was going to be an ongoing thing or if this was just, a, you know, going to go poof and and gone. And, and that was really encouraging to me. And my experience of you in general is over the years, almost exclusively, is just uh, i want to be around john because you look everything you look at everything around you with fascination and curiosity and hope and i wonder because of that experience with you i wonder what about the mission statement and the fear aspect of that resonates with you so during my working life, I uh, worked with a lot of professional photographers, um, and obviously osmosis takes over. You talk to someone and you get a little hint of something, um, and they might be an expert in a particular field, and you think, oh, I could never make a picture like that. Uh, and then you go out and you you look at the picture uh, through that, sort of little two and a half inch or three inch screen and you say, well, that's not like his picture at all or her picture. And, and, and then you see, so how did that happen? How did, how did they do? Oh, okay. So they must've used something. And then you learn about graduated filters to get the balance right of what the sensor will accommodate. And, and, and there's a whole bunch of learning that goes on. And that's particularly true with uh, flashlighting. Uh, to get depth and character and all those kinds of things. I, I think my biggest fear in photography has always been in lighting. Um, do, I, it, do you remember it, a situation where where lighting was particularly important that, that you had to perform on or it had to get right to get that image? Oh, in product photography. Mm. Um, you know, we were a small company uh, originally um, in the early 80s, and so... You know, when I got quotes for, uh, you know, professional photography, I I said, well, that's, you know, a month's advertising budget. Uh, We'll have to do that ourselves. Um, And the assumption was because we were Nikon, you know, we had all the gear. We didn't have all the gear, you know. Um, So I had to sort of work out how to do backgrounds, how to do big depth of field, how to effectively create images that could be deep etched, uh, which was a separate process in 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 film photography, uh, and uh, shadowless pictures. Um, so you know most lenses don't work particularly well, you know at f sixteen or f thirty two, you know where you can get enough depth. And a camera, you'd say, well, it's pretty small. But actually, uh, half the camera can be in focus, and so you learn about hyper hyperfocal focus and and those kinds of things. And and your three quarter view isn't quite three quarters because if you make it three quarters, you lose detail in the product. So all of that that was that was a that was a learning journey. But the lighting was the critical thing. Yeah. And then I I looked at the images that came from Japan, and I worked out how many lights they had and how they created those effects and gradually introduced some of that. Um, and, and, and so, you know, multiple, multiple flashes were a terror to me, still are. I'm, I'm never really comfortable. I much prefer working with fixed lights uh, where I can see it or daylight. And so all of my, all of, most of my work is with uh, existing light. So, so what you're describing, I would associate with a scrappy startup, not with Nikon, uh, and and yet at the same time, that was a that was a different time, and your company was uh, a small company to to some extent, especially when it started, and yet you know you were you had this international brand and needed uh, photography. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, a trial by fire. Like you had to you had to learn. 
I had to learn very fast and the company grew very quickly and then we were able to hire uh, really good photographers <laughs> and I kept on learning from them. Uh, so, you, you know, I'm, I think I'm fairly like most photographers. I'm now in my eighth decade. It's a terrible thought um, uh, when you're in your 70s that you're in your eighth decade. But that, I think the, 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 the really important thing is I still believe that my best pictures are yet ahead. And and so that's that's the big journey. That's the thirty thousand foot view. It's it's I've still got some stories to tell visually that haven't been told yet. Hmm. That's that's the opposite of the fear. That's the hope. That's that's uh, the hope. And, yeah, and, and the fear is that I won't actually make them. <laughs> right. Well, that's a great point, and that's part of the motivation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think hmm. learning anything new, there's that whether whether it goes to the extent of fear. And I do find that that photographers, when they start out young, uh, have less anticipate less of the you know dread about failing uh, because they, as a child, if you can associate that sense of of just you know it's just doing like it's not there's no fail there's no succeed it's just i'm learning and i'm curious and uh and moving forward um yeah it's those aren't necessarily my thoughts i just had a conversation with parker fister yesterday and and uh uh one of the statements he made is fear is for adults like kids they just approach with curiosity they're out there uh and and the fact that you as a as a kid, as an 11 year old made something beautiful, probably was a huge foundation for the direction that your life went into. Yeah, I think, I think it was, uh, um, I'm having it with grandchildren, seeing this uh, business of uh, they're fearless and then they, they become more moderate in their behaviors, less extreme. They put themselves less frequently in danger. And then uh, my oldest grandson is uh, just about to become a teenager and, he clearly has constraints. I, I'm told by the the educators that our most creative age is about five, five. Um, and 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 that is because thereafter, all of the constraints of don't do this, don't do that, uh, you know, we don't do that. In other words, it's a behavioural thing. is is born in on us, and so uh, the education process is really designed to well. We won't cover that bit of history because the exam is about this. And so you become expert in this part of it, but that part of it is, is excluded. Uh, and and the, the French system, I've always thought the, the, the baccalauréat is, is um, uh, a really, really valuable thing. So, John, as you're talking about childhood and the most creative age is five years old, um, how... How have you stayed creative in in your journey and continued to grow as an artist and as a photographer? Uh, and that's breaking through the fear of things that I didn't know how to do ahead of time. Um, I, if I'm interested in a subject that I don't know about, um, usually learned organisations or camera clubs or whatever want to put their program together several months ahead of time. And, and one of the things that I do is if I'm interested in something that I'd like to learn more about, I'll put my hand up and say, I'll give a talk on it. I don't know anything about it to begin with. And I will then learn and I'll put myself out there at risk because there could be someone in the audience that knows everything about it. Um, that there's, there's always the fear that there's someone in the audience who really is an expert. And uh, so I think that process is a really important one. If we want to grow as people, we have to expose ourselves to the risk of failure. Um, and public speaking is something I'm not uncomfortable with, but it's a, a really important thing to to put yourself out there. And if you find that there's a question from the audience that is clearly from someone who knows what they're talking about, I've always said, 
look, in that particular field, I'm sure you're more expert than I am. Um, come up here and share with the rest of the audience uh, that perspective, because that's not an area that I'm a particular expert on. And I'd, I, I'm, you know, the benefit of you being here, that'd be great. Has anybody um, taken you up on that? Yes, on, on, on one occasion, I knew that person when I spotted them in the audience was the expert in this particular field. And it was a conference where, you know, there were multiple subjects uh, and and I was the person speaking on this thing, but I knew they really knew their stuff. Um, and uh, I called them out about a third of the way in and, and said, as you know, X is the celebrated expert in this field and he should probably be up here uh, not me, um, but uh, you got me anyway because I'm probably cheaper. Uh, and and you, you debase yourself and so forth. Yeah, yeah. But well, but I, that's how I've learned a whole bunch of things that I would never have attempted if I hadn't put myself out there. Okay, I got butterflies in my stomach just thinking about the reaction from that expert because really what you've described is uh, is so true to my experience of you – you you want to make sure if you're going to be a public speaker with confidence, you have to have confidence in, in the material that you're sharing. Yes. And I I have two I have twin boys who are freshmen in college, and and one of them will uh, was concerned about his his oral report at the end of the year, and he'd been studying ants, and he's been he'd spent dozens of hours watching this one ant hill all semester, and. And he was super nervous about going up and speaking. I said, I said, you're the only one who knows the information that you gathered, whether that was well, you know, that your hypothesis was correct or not. That's what this all is about is you going and sharing what you found out. Uh, you have climbed that mountain of knowledge and everyone is there to sit at your feet and learn what you learned. You went out into the world and learned that and brought it back. And when he took that approach and he said, oh, I'm the only expert on this anthill for this time. And on these questions, I, I asked whether they were the right questions or not. And, and with that idea of, I know what I know. And maybe someone out there knows, knows more, which that's the anticipation there. But in this situation, it didn't. But I do think that, that for me, public speaking becomes easy when I know that I'm an expert. Yeah, and uh, but at the same time, it's also uh, interesting when there is a creative tension uh, of delivery. Without a few butterflies, the performance is not usually the best. I love that. Uh, um, so it, it's just, and that's that's the fear that you have to overcome. Um, I want to just um, before we uh, lose time, I, I want to. Talk about the word empower, okay. uh, which is part of your mission statement. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, um, if I think of the history of uh, photography, which is now in its 185th year or thereabouts, um, the, the, the process of development of photography through time has, has been a constant battle between is this art or is this something else? And all of the different cameras and lenses and, and technologies that have been delivered in every decade has something different in, in all those 180 years. Um, and in some decades, you know, four or five processes would come and go. Uh, certainly in the 19th century, that was true. Um, that, that the people that have been involved have all ultimately empowered others to do something which the technology itself does is is just the means. Uh, it's it's so you know I think of um, you know the original Daguerre process, uh, which was actually um, uh, someone else's uh, process that he licensed essentially for not very much money. Uh, he was a good commercial man, Mister Daguerre, um, or. Um, you know, the, the Fox Talbot system, which was actually printed paper. Uh, his first system was called salted paper uh, in 1839, 1840. And, and all of that just enabled people then to do things that weren't possible before. Mm -hmm. And so uh, with, with Lens Baby, 
you know, there's an empowerment to see differently, to focus differently, to express differently. That was true with the Nikon F. It was true with the Canon EOS uh, digital camera. Um, It's true with a whole bunch of uh, emerging technologies. The iPhone 13 Pro uh, that has a 13mm lens. Um, Not particularly linear, uh, but get it at the right angle and you can record, you know, 140 degrees. It's kind of cool. Um, And that's something, that's a camera I have with me all the time. Um, I uh, did a job the other day, which um, I I went to uh, visit a new local restaurant um, that had just opened in our regional gallery where I live uh, just south of Sydney here in Australia. And uh, uh, I went to actually spec the job that I'd come back and do. And I had my phone and I I, I got the phone out uh, as my notebook and said, oh, that'll be a good angle. That'll be good. And then when I got home, I I got them up and and looked at them in Lightroom. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to see that any better with my real camera. Mm -hmm. These are only going out as images that will be 1,600 pixels. Their exposure is perfect. The framing is good. Um, uh, I straightened up one edge that that was slightly not um, the way I wanted it. Um, But I saw through that wide-angle lens the images that told the story about this new restaurant attached to a a beautiful regional gallery. Uh, And those were the pictures that were used by the client. Um, So the empowering process of design is is a really important thing because then it's the creative artist and the fear of overcoming the technological limitation of a phone to actually realise the picture. It's kind of uh, a, a really valuable process. But the phone has too many limitations for me, too much depth of field. Uh, there are things that it doesn't do that I need it to do. And um, so that's why we use other equipment. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and you're talking about art. Like, is this art? And it's it's not the equipment that decides that. It's really the the person with the vision that creates it, and then the viewer. And yeah, well, what, one of the things I like about the phone is that at any one time you're dealing with one focal length, um, mm-hmm. and so you use your feet. Um, I I have a discipline. Um, at least once a year, I go out with uh, a camera and a single lens, and, and it could be anything. But I remember one day going out in Sydney doing a street walk with the uh, Edge 50. Uh, and what I like about the Lens Baby Edge 50 is that uh, if I line it up uh, completely, it's a 50mm lens and a very good 50mm lens. Um, and uh, it's uh, qu- quite fast. Uh, and so I can do all, all the normal things you do with a 50mm lens, but you can also get a slice of focus. And I remember walking down to uh, uh, the Sydney Opera House on the, on the foreshore there and seeing a line that goes up the middle of one of the sails in the Sydney Opera House and switching the lens, maybe edge 50, into the slice of focus mode. Mm-hmm. And no one has ever made a picture like that before of that building. And, you know, it's a tourist destination. There are millions of photos. But I knew that I had the only picture because it was one of the early lenses. Uh, being a distributor, we got them just a little sooner than everyone else. <laughs> and, and I was so excited uh, that that process of disciplining myself to try and see through one lens and use my feet, but it also made me use my eyes more because that's what you do. So it heightened the creative process. And that was an empowerment process, which is um, – why that vision statement uh, resonated with me. Mm, I'm so glad, John. And, and mission statement. Yeah. yeah. And, and your experience with our products is, has helped me have hope. Like I said, early on, you've, you've seen the possibility 
and you've been curious about what is possible and what it can do, and you've pushed our, our stuff to the limits, and you've pushed pretty much everything you've touched to its limits, I'm sure. And, and I love the story about you having to bootstrap your photography as the Nikon distributor and yeah. figure out and reverse engineer the lighting situation that the uh, Japanese photographers were, were doing and, uh, until you could afford to bring in the expensive photographers. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. You know, it's, it's, and there's, there's a ton in your entrepreneurial journey. I think that you're always on that edge, you know, is this going to work? Is this not? And you've, you've uh, approached it from, you know, since I've known you with a real sense of, of groundedness and, and hope for, for what's coming and, and not letting that fear of, of the other possibility uh, derail you. And, and that's been an inspiration to me. And, and uh, I, I'm glad that I know you, John. Well, that's very kind of you, Craig. I, I, I think uh, uh, my final word would be that uh, this is a journey that although as photographers, we're very solitary, I think the great discovery was the community of photography and mm. and that the world now with podcasts and with YouTube and with uh, uh, teleconferencing and Zoom means that, you know, you really can talk face-to-face with a whole bunch of people that was never possible in, in my childhood. And uh, the net result is some of those fears can be um, dissipated by the knowledge that everyone else has changed sort of gone that journey too and they've had to uh, uh, discover all those things um, and I've I've had the privilege of talking to some of the world's greats like Arnold Newman and um, you know people of that standard uh, through attending lectures or being on industry associations where you end up being the host for 30 minutes in a car while you go somewhere 30 minutes with Arnold Newman? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, it's just, just one of those extraordinary things. Well, so, I, can't, I can't imagine a better host than you, John. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I know you've been a great host to me when, when we've met up in, in various countries and, and uh, sat down at dinner together, and, and I yeah. look forward to doing that again. Likewise. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, always enjoy our conversations, John. You have a great rest of your day. I will. Same to you. Thanks. What a privilege to have an extended time to talk about photography, the philosophy of photography with John, and hear so much about his journey. That was awesome. So the takeaways that I got were the questions, three questions. It started with two, but then a third one came up. What is happening here as we approach photographic assignments? What is happening next? Because as photographers, we have to tell the future or we have to be ready for it anyhow so we can share the past. And lastly, the third question that came up later was, what am I going to discover next? Those are great ways to approach our visual creativity and what we're going to see in the world. And they are tools that I'm going to take out into the world with me, and I hope you will too. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me for the Moving Through Fear podcast, where we explore what it means to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom.